great palette of colour. Life is full of these grey areas, it's not just black and white. An identity forming experience. You are listening to Eastside Radio Podcast with discussions and insights on art, politics, music and more here on eastsidefm.org. If you are still seated, I'd be very surprised. For 15 minutes every day, for the duration, we'll bring the latest on the pandemic and our local response right here on 89.7 FM at 3 p.m. Yes, good afternoon and you're at Eastside for our new daily program on COVID news and how it affects you and I'm joined by John McNamara. Hello, John. Hi there. How are you? Good. And look, first of all, we're going to begin, we're going to be speaking to Dave Sharma, the local member for Wentworth a little later, and he's got something fairly interesting to say about his perspective and experiences and how it reflects on all of us. But first of all, we have a wrap up from John with the news that you need to know. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, is projecting world economic contraction. Not really that surprisingly. Uh, The world as a whole is facing a 3% contraction in economic activity for the next 12 months. Australia's economic activity is projected by the IMF to contract by a whopping 6.7% this year, and they're also predicting that unemployment in Australia will remain high for the next two years. In some national news, the Morrison government is foreshadowing the adoption of a, of a smartphone tracking app for people with COVID-19 to help determine who else they have come in contact with. Now, the carrot being that it may help Uh, to ease lockdown restrictions and limit disease spread. Similar technology has been used in places like Singapore with positive results, initially at least. Although we had a lovely day today, it's going to be 29 degrees. That's really going to push the temptations of those wanting to get... I don't don't think they'll get onto Bondi Beach, but to find every other possible bit of beach and water otherwise. That's right. This this fine weather is, is mocking us, really, in so many ways at the moment. And also, meanwhile, in state news, New South Wales has announced an inquiry into the Ruby Princess debacle. Uh, Premier Gladys Berejiklian is getting uh, Brett Walker, SC. Uh, He's a barrister to lead it, and he will report back to the government in about three or four months. Apparently, uh, the Premier is not particularly... Well, I don't think impressed is the right word, but she's she's a bit frustrated, I think, with the time that the police and the coroner are saying it will take them to investigate this whole thing uh, related to the Ruby Princess. So she's getting Brett Walker to do a, uh, a faster inquiry to find out what really happened. The latest figures, no more deaths in New South Wales in the last 24 hours, the Premier was saying this morning, which is which is very good news. Um, we've still got uh, the, the figures haven't been updated online, or at least weren't as as we as we uh, record this. Um, total confirmed cases in New South Wales remain at two thousand eight hundred and seventy, and the total number of deaths remains at twenty six. But needless to say, Wentworth, Wollara, we're still hot spots. We're still the hot spots uh, as this as as this uh, pandemic unfolds. Some good news for council workers, local council workers, and that uh, a number of councils, including uh, Waverley Council, as I understand it, have agreed to top up the JobKeeper payment for those council workers who have otherwise been left uh, with time on their hands, so to speak. So, uh, as I understand it, uh, these full-time workers who are stood down entirely will be paid $858.20 a week for three months after an initial period of four weeks paid special leave. Now, uh, casuals cannot access the stand-down payments. 
and it's substantially more than the $750 a week. Most idled private sector employees are entitled to receive uh, for six months under the JobKeeper scheme. Uh, a spokesman for Waverley Council said the what they're calling a splinter award would help the council preserve jobs by providing suitable alternative duties to employees unable to perform their regular tasks. Well, it's lucky for those who have some certainty, but there's still many out there, despite all the new information, still don't know what they'll get, how they'll get it, how long they'll get it for. So, of course, that's the role of politicians to explain. We'll move on now to Dave Sharma. We spoke to him just before we went on air, and I asked him, you know, what's the role, given that there's federal, state and local government involved in all of this, what's the role of a federal backbencher? Look, it's really been um, at a very sort of grassroots level to help people, constituents, residents in the eastern suburbs, navigate some of these layers of, of government programs and support programs and assistance. I mean, there's, as you said, there's um, federal programs, there's state programs, there's local government programs, but I'm on hand as a resource and in touch with the community regularly to help them understand what those programs are, how they might benefit their own particular circumstances and situations and, and how to move forward on those sorts of things. And that's regardless of whether it's a federal, state or local issue. I think people you know, shouldn't be expected to know all those distinctions and that's what I'm here for, to help, help them navigate those. And logistically, are you, are you running a virtual office out of your office? Are you, have you, are your staff still there? And how busy are you at the moment? So look, we're still uh, keeping a physical office. That's in, on Edgecliff on, on the corner of New South Head Road and, um, uh, and uh, Edgecliff Avenue, Ocean Street. But we're not taking sort of walk-in traffic anymore. We're telling people to, you know, contact us by phone or email. Um, the office is still staffed, but we're sort of half staffed. So half the staff are working from home on any given day and half are working from the office. And we have a um, an office large enough to allow us to, to spread out and, and space ourselves out. Uh, and we've actually been exceptionally busy. I mean, I've been a Member of Parliament now for about 11 months and, you know, the last four to six weeks has been by far the busiest period. Just the number of inquiries, telephone calls, emails, uh, people who really do need assistance and support and are facing quite uncertain and anxious times, which is hard for anyone. And that might be on health issues, it might be to do with their business, it might be their issues to do with their rent and, and their landlord. Uh, it might be about schooling. It might be about um, you know whether they can access JobKeeper or JobSeeker or these other programs that have got available. It runs the whole the whole gamut. That we've had a you know orders of magnitude higher number of inquiries than we would in any given normal period. Dave, how would you assess the feeling or the well-being of constituents? How how anxious are people? I mean, you've just gone through a huge shopping list of things. I mean, no one could know all of that. So presumably you have to refer people on, but how, how do you how do you think your constituents are bearing up? Look, I think it's an anxious time for for everyone, uh, everyone in Australia, and I think we're still getting to grips with this. I mean, obviously, this is something that no one alive today has, has lived through before, or almost no one, unless there's a few people over a hundred that lived through the Spanish flu, but that was a different period and a different time. So no one has lived through a pandemic of this order before. Um, the world is still going through it and getting to grips with it, so we don't have a good sense of the trajectory ahead. There's no predictability to it. Um, people are, 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 have lost their income, and they've often lost their jobs. They've often lost the normal social routines that they might have there, you know, going to the gym, going out with friends, um, exercising in groups, whatever it might be. And Going to work. The truth is, going to work, yeah. And um, so people's lives, uh, everyone's lives, have been massively disrupted and altered by this, and we don't know 
how long this will last, what the new normal will look like, when will we emerge and will we ever get back to quite how we were before. So I think people are anxious for their own immediate personal circumstances, but they're also anxious because the normal sort of social outlets and interactions they have that help them deal with everyday stresses just just aren't there. People are having to make quite big adjustments for their life and it's not easy. As a former diplomat, uh, I was wondering if you could give us a world view, if you like, for a moment. And how do you think the world is coping with all this? Is it possible that we can take a united approach? Do we need to? You know, I'd just like to get your perspective on all that, please. Yeah, of course. Look, I think, I mean, firstly, what this pandemic has illustrated is just the immense connectivity of the world. I mean, something that emerged from a you know, provincial town in China um, only a couple of months ago can have moved around the world as quickly as it has and all the scales it has just shows how the world is a much more interconnected place. I mean, when the Spanish flu moved through 100 years ago, you know, it took several months to reach Australia and it, took, it didn't reach certain parts of the world at all. And even you know, previous pandemics, it happened much more slowly because people just move much less frequently. So today the world is, is very much just a single single entity, if you like, and people, every part of the world is connected, you know, in two or three short hops to another part of the world. And I think this is what the, the speed and pace of the way this pandemic has spread is illustrated. And I think that shows you that it's, you know, short of kind of closing up your borders and becoming a fortress, um, which I don't think is realistic, uh, it shows you that we do need to have a level of international cooperation and information sharing and exchange to deal with this. And I think, you know, there have been criticisms about ways, the way parts of that UN community has performed during this crisis, including the World Health Organization. And I think they're legitimate criticisms and one we need to, ones we need to look at closely. But if we didn't have a body like the WHO, we would need to invent it or we'd be much worse off. We do need bodies that are basically trusted international third parties where countries can exchange information, exchange data, um, interact with one another on neutral territory, because that is the only way we're actually going to overcome this crisis. We need to know in Australia what's happening in China. We need to know in Australia what's happening in the United States, in Italy, in Europe, uh, in South Korea, in Japan, because that'll determine and inform our own policies here. Um, And so I think that sort of global architecture of the plumbing is actually immensely important. And though this is a a crisis first and foremost for national governments that national governments are dealing with, and they're using different measures and different approaches, um, we need to be informed by what's happening around the globe because we can't, you know, uh, even Australia, an island, but, you know, we're an island physically, but when it comes to this disease, we're just as connected to the rest of the world as, as any other part. So when Donald Trump uh, threatens and then says he will deliver on withdrawing funding from the World Health Organization, what do you think? Well, I think we should be, um, we should certainly be, once this crisis is over, uh, be talking with other countries, including the United States, about where the WHO performed well and where it didn't perform well. And not just the WHO, but other other parts of the system, and we should be looking to reform those and address them, and having an you know internal review and, and sort of governance review. And, you know, it's, it's a normal thing you do after something like this happens. You do a stock take and you do a sort of a assessment of where things went well and where things went badly, what you need to change. And I think certainly we do need to do that with the WHO. As Australia, I mean, I wouldn't be saying that we should be cutting off funding now or doing anything too precipitous. We still need the WHO to get us through this crisis and the time for those sorts of conversations and discussions will come will come later once we're all on top of it.
to, to flip the perspective, how have we done at Wentworth? I mean, everything that happens at Bondi ends up not just in the national, but sometimes in the international news. Have we got it to does. make some, uh, eat some humble pie to make good, or actually, what you know, what what we do here does count. So, what should we do? It does. I mean, and look, I've been a little um, troubled to see how often Bondi Beach has been on the international news for the wrong reasons over the last uh, month or two. Look, I'd say at a macro level, Australia has actually performed um, quite well during this crisis. There's no... doesn't mean we got everything right. It's certainly no cause for complacency. But if you look at our statistics, the rate of spread in the population, the number of deaths per, per million... Um, the number of uh, the, the pressure on our ICU beds and on our ventilators, we are performing very well by um, by every global standard. Um, now, obviously, there's a, a variation within Australia. I think you know we do have a higher number of cases or instances in in the Waverley and Willara local government areas and the Sydney local government area. Um, but I think that's partly a result of sort of you know demographic factors here. I mean, people live in a high density in the eastern suburbs. It's one of the most densely populated parts of Australia. Um, people tend to travel a lot. Uh, it's quite an itinerant population moving back and forth. And one of the largest vectors of infection, if you like, has been from um, overseas. And um, we've got more people, you know, on a per capita basis that travel overseas than most other parts of Australia. Um, and that we've also had, we've got a sizable, you know, um, non-citizen population here, backpackers and tourists and things like that. And they're also been you know part of a cause of concern so i think there's some things there that we you know uh are unique to where we live i think there's also been honestly though some behavioral aspects which, which we're a little slow to get to you know the scenes on bondi beach a couple of weeks ago people basically disregarding the risk from the virus um some you know parties that were happening and nightclubs that were still open and bars that were still open i think um our part of sydney was perhaps slower to adjust than it should have been to the new normal but i think People have now got the message, and we're we're behaving as we should, and consistently with a with an approach to minimise the risk from this uh, from this virus. So, is that your essential message to to your constituency and you know the broader Sydney population? I suppose to 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 carry on with our current behaviours, social distancing, and all the rest. Oh, look, absolutely. I think it's the the, the message is really um, don't be complacent. Uh, the risk is still real, just because we're performing well. Uh, doesn't mean we can ease off um, and the sooner we sort of get control of this situation uh, in a fulsome way the sooner we can begin to resume normal life so it's in everyone's interest to get through this as quickly as possible and the way we do this is by following medical advice uh, isolating if need be practicing social distancing practicing good personal hygiene um, and being sort of respectful and kind towards your fellow citizens exciting time to be a politician uh, you, not you meaning exciting in a vicarious sense but in a purposeful sense it really you know has changed the role of politicians and certainly the way they're being looked at is that something that you'd agree with well I, I would say it's been um, uh, you know, it's been the most satisfying part of my role is to actually be able to help people in times of trouble and distress and anxiety and help them navigate things. It doesn't mean we can address everyone's problems or fix everyone's problems, but we can certainly help them get through it and help them understand what's available. And that is, you know, that's really, to me, what politics is about as a vocation, is, is helping people. I think sometimes politics is too often about, you know, clash and sound and fury and, and heat rather than light. But I think this has been a good illustration of how politicians and a political class and government really can help us get through this, because without 
um, government, we'd be in a quite a different position, I think. Well, I don't know if Washington, D.C. is listening to this, but it might be handy if they did. But thank you very much, Dave Sharma, and we'll look forward to having you on the programme in time to come. And as I always say, when, we, when Bondi Beach reopens, we expect to see you there banging pots and pans <laughs> and celebrating. Absolutely. I'll be one of the first into the water. And a big thanks, Dave Sharma. We'll, of course, be hearing from him regularly. And this is really going to be a time where our politicians prove themselves one way or another. It certainly will. He was, he was very interesting to listen to and to speak to. Now, just a reminder about our email address before we do go today, for the duration at eastsidefm.org. That's for the duration, all one word, at eastsidefm.org. Set, drop us a note with any of your queries, comments, and uh, we'll pass them on. Yeah. You have been listening to Eastside Radio Podcast. For selections of more enjoyable content like this, visit our website, eastsidefm.org, and click on podcast.